You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Post Malone was at the show and he loved Slayer. He fucking was singing the words to the songs and Gary Holt backstage really twisted his balls. He goes, man, you don't know any fucking Slayer. Name your favorite song. Post Malone looked at him and fucking walked right out. And I respected that. And the next thing with Gary, why are you saying this shit? And then Scott Sokol, the agent, Slayer's agent, he's there. He goes, no, man, Post Malone was singing the fuck lyrics to Slayer songs. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of 2020. I'm Siobhan Cronin here as always with Benny Goodman and Corey Peza, my cohorts and my co-hosts. How's it going, guys? Happy to be here. Woo. I'm alive and fighting the Klaudipin to stay awake, but I'm alive. All right. Well, this week, such an exciting episode. Part one of two, obviously, with Maria Ferrero of Adrenaline, Adrenaline PR. Can't speak. Yeah. Um, but so many other Fired. things. Like, so many great stories to tell. So I, I don't even want to give anything away. We just got to jump. She's right. passionate, man. I love her. She's just so true and like honest to herself. And I'm glad that she represents us because she you know you know what like she's a kevin bacon of it all and i want to like not she's been there since the beginning of time with slayer and and motorhead and metallica megadeth every band she was there yeah the 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 perspective from from being where she was at at that time is crazy that's why we get all these cool stories coming up in this episode part one with maria ferrero subscribe to 020-d.com Hello and welcome to another episode of 2020. My name is Corey Peza. I'm here as always with Benny Goodman and Siobhan Cronin. How you guys doing? Awesome, man. I'm excited for today. We've got good vibes going. <laughs> Absolutely. Good vibes, bro. And uh, I, it's it's an honor to introduce uh, someone that we've we've worked with, you know, virtually for, for quite some time now. And it's, it's good to put a face to the name. Um, want to welcome Maria Ferrero. Uh, the wonderful, uh, <laughs> talented publicist from Adrenaline PR. Person who cares. Lily Coy came to visit. Come here, girl. Oh, we got animals already. All right, you're oh. winning. You're winning already. Please go to 2020-d.com and watch this on YouTube because it's never as cute through the sound. Right. That was bad. YouTube cast. Oh, my God. <laughs> so Maria, yes. thank thank you so much for joining us. Um, you know, we we found out through through an email chain that you happen to have some connections to some interesting people. A lot of people, <laughs> a lot of years, been doing this a long time, and everyone, including you guys, are really special and interesting. Oh, so oh. I'm honored to work with. How you. much do we pay you to say that? No, it's, no, it's I'm thing. honored to work with you guys, really, and this is great. So for um, for meet you and go, and go yeah. ahead Corey. Well, I was gonna say for those that don't know you can you give us just a quick little kind of background on, yeah, on sure. what you do so I run a publicity firm called adrenaline PR 
um, work mostly with hard rock and metal. And I've been doing this company, I guess, for almost 20 years now. Uh, work with bands like Lamb of God and Motorhead, the legacy of Motorhead and Dio and, you know, great up and coming bands like Tetrarch or like just total professionals like Lost Symphony. Um, so many bands. And you know what I love? Like we get a lot of little bands like that nobody knows. And that's, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what I love. Metallica was that band. Everybody started out that way. And I love, you know, taking something and blowing it up or introducing people to. Well, all you need is Dave Mustaine and it'll be bigger. <laughs> I don't get that joke. Because <laughs> no, he made get, Metallica get used to what that. they are. Wow. And then every time he says anything, and other than when Corey Taylor says something, then I have to listen to it. Because if Corey Taylor doesn't like Dunkin' Donuts over Starbucks, I hear about it. And I, Dave yeah. Mustaine's like, ah, oh, but I didn't like Ron McGovney when he was in that lineup of Metallica in 1981. I have to hear about it. So I feel like Dave Mustaine's the greatest marketing thing that could ever happen. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to keep a little tight lip on Mustaine. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I love Megadeth. Oh, I do too. I actually was there when they formed the band in 1983. So okay, my history, right? I'm sorry. Am I diving into? Okay, no, that's, a good, that's, a, that's a good. That's a that's a great place. So, that's a great so, place to start. You were okay. there at the, at the <laughs> genesis. I'm going to say this: the genesis, as in the Phil Collins of Megadeth. Okay, so 1982. I'm working at you know a, a record store in East Brunswick, New Jersey. They moved to um, Clark, New Jersey, and they also have a record company called Megaforce, and they're putting out singles and signing bands called Metallica. So they signed Metallica in the middle of like, you know, Metallica coming east and west back and forth to record or play shows that John and Marsha's Azula of Megaforce were promoting. Um, they basically kicked Mustaine out. You know, it was like he was drinking fucking hardcore, probably doing speed and shit too, but like really hardcore, couldn't. But it was the 80s. I feel like everyone yeah, we talked to from but, the 80s. But you know what? That Metallica that one that's what it is. Out. They wanted to bust out. They wanted to fucking be Metallica and grow and be big. And that was dead weight to them. Sorry, God, I'm so sorry I'm saying this. But yeah, it was like dead weight. So they, they, they got rid of him and it was rough. So now it's a year later. It's 1983. I graduate high school. And I'm like, you know, not taking any career serious at, you know, Megaforce or Rock and Roll Heaven because I was a fucking 17-year-old kid. So I tell my dad, buy me a one-way ticket to Hollywood. I'm, I want to go to see my friend that moved out the year before. So I move out there to Hollywood, one-way ticket to Hollywood. I'm hanging out with my friend and we meet up with her girlfriend, Vicky. And Vicky's like, let's go to her, my boyfriend's house. So we walk around the corner to her boyfriend's house and Dave Mustaine opens the door. And he's like, Metal Maria, what are you doing here? Like he knew me from Metallica, from Megaforce and all that shit. So he took me to the side like a big brother and he said, you know, the people you're staying with, um, they're doing really bad drugs. Like your friend, Mora, the girl from New Jersey that moved out a year before me that said, come move out here. She's shooting crystal meth. And I'm like, what? Like, I don't even know what that is. I smoke pot. That's it. So he's like, come live with me in junior. You know, he's like, do good drugs with me. Well, no, it was just really pot. Really, I think pot, even though I said before he was snorting, snorting crank. I don't I don't believe that like all those old bridge guys were when the bands would come around, but I never saw him do that. He was really a drinker and he couldn't handle it. He was very thin. <laughs> anyway, um, so he said, come live with me. So him and Junior, they lived together in this apartment on North Orange and uh, Hollywood. And they kind of saved me, you know, like they took me in when it might've turned out bad with the people that I was with. So 
I'm oh, wait, really, I've never heard that story. Dave Mustaine saved someone from drugs. Yeah, yeah he took me in. That's the awesomest headline for Blabbermouth ever. Dave Mustaine is the reason that I did not shoot crystal meth. <laughs> yeah, no, he took me in and he... Well, it was not a gateway for you, Maria. It was not the gateway. Thanks to Megadeth, the mechanics, the Bay State, thrash music. It kept you away from the, the crank. I'm going to get a little ding bell for interruptions from now on. Just yeah, so we can all like, like ad- oh, my God, she has one. <laughs> I'll be in charge of this. Yeah. <laughs> we need to we need to build like that, like, you know, response in him. God, it's hot. I gotta turn the fan on. I'm salivating, <laughs> actually. Yeah, every time someone rings a bell, I'm like, steak. <laughs> I'm remembering like all the lines in uh, uh, a Mustaine's book that I read. Did Dave actually like waterboard you to remember them and then ring the bell? Tell me what I said in 1984. I have cassette tapes of them writing all of the early Megadeth stuff. And one day he busted me. He's like, oh, are you recording this? And I'm like, yeah, like I was like, this is cool. Like underground tapes were huge in the fucking 80s. And Megadeth, you're forming your band. Like I got the first demo, baby, right in my boom box. That's amazing. It is a fucking amazing. That is, that's, that's <laughs> ridiculous. Do you ever go back and listen to that? Or are you afraid like the tapes is going to break? No, I, I, I haven't listened to it actually. Oh my God. You're afraid if you listen to it, you're like, ah. Oh. Carrie King sounds terrible in this. Was he in Megadeth then? Was that when that happened? I feel like he already joined no, later. I, that part, I don't even remember Carrie King. I, I heard that recently. I'm like, I yeah. didn't know Carrie King was in, was I heard in it too. Megadeth. I That's crazy. I didn't know too much. That. Too much smoking. I forgot that whole thing. <laughs> well, okay. Before we get carried away in all the rock star stories, I want to go back because obviously you are a very bold personality, which I love. Like, I don't think that many 17-year-olds would say, hey, dad, buy me a one-way ticket to Hollywood. So I want to hear a little bit more about like, your childhood, your upbringing, like how sure. you got into music. How I got balls. Okay. <laughs> right. So, exactly. That's super interesting. I love music. I always had my little record player. I was an entertainer for my mother. I would put my records on Elton John and just dance and entertain. Um, as I got older, well, okay. My mom passed when I was eight, day after my eighth birthday. Oh my God. So when something like that happens, you're instantly, for me, you're an instant adult. You now have the, you're the power. You are going to make your own rules. No one can tell you. Your protector is gone, pretty much. So I just, I think I just accelerated into like, you know, being an adult. And I was always around older people and they just accepted me. And I was more of a leader. I'm a Leo. So I'm, you know, kind of like in the middle of everything. Everything's around me. Yeah, I, I think that's what kind of made me, you know, having a heavy duty loss and just taking charge, you know. And I learned a lot. I made a lot of mistakes. I still do. Um, you know, it's a balance. Yeah, absolutely. I can totally relate to that. My, my dad passed away when I was young. I was 13. And you're totally mm-hmm. right. Like it, you do become an adult very quickly. And I think it does give you balls because you just have to be like, all right, now it's time to take charge of my life. And like life is so precious and so short, you know. So what happened to you, Siobhan? What, what are you saying? Are you saying I'm a push? Maria still has balls. You do not have balls by comparison. <laughs> <laughs> Here, here's the thing. My mom is a very strong personality. So after my dad, my mom Go was on. dominant. You know, so it's like I kind of took the back seat in a lot of ways. So it's for a while I was a bit of a pushover because she would always like fight my battles, you know. But when you become an adult, you have to learn it the hard way. Did right? you flare your nostrils? What? Did you flare your nostrils? I think you flared your nostrils. Not intentionally. <laughs> oh, man. We brought it out in her tonight, guys. 
you have to tune back in to 2020-d.com and subscribe because in all the 79 episodes, I've never seen Siobhan flare her nostrils defending herself. It was definitely not intentional, but okay. <laughs> yeah, not having a mom. Wow. You know, I, I see how other people are with their moms. It's weird. It's weird from someone who doesn't mother. I'm, I'm like, do, I feel like a lot of people don't appreciate their mothers or they have a domineering mother where it's like, oh my God. And I thank God I didn't have that. I don't know how I would have handled that. Yeah. No, it's, yeah, it's hard. You look back as an adult and you wonder, you know, like, how would you relate to this person? Like how you are now, you know? So it's, I can imagine, yeah, totally change, you know, gives you a different perspective on life, but obviously you kind of took the reins and yeah, and I met a lot of cool people. I met some incredibly strong women. Uh, we got Debbie Abono here. I don't know if you guys know this woman. I don't know if you could see this little whatever. Anyway, Debbie Abono, um, she was a manager. She managed Possessed, Violence, Obituary, Forbidden in the 80s. She was a 50-something-year-old woman that took on these kids, man. And Debbie would drive them around in tour buses, or, you know, drive them around in vans on tour. She would fund everything. Um, it turned out, you know, a lot of people didn't know this, but she was very, very wealthy. Her grandfather started a bank in California and there were like 40 something branches. So she never had to work and she rolled it out for the, the Bay Area, you know, metal community. Exodus, she even managed at one point. Wow. Um, Death Angel, a little bit in there, but just really helped out. So she was a strong but sweet woman um, that was a big influence on my life. And Marsha's Azula, Megaforce Marsha, who, you know, rest in peace, she passed in January this year. What a nightmare. Yeah, Marsha, I met her when I was 15 and uh, she taught me everything about being a strong woman, being bold, uh, had a fucking headbang and not give a fuck what anybody thinks you look like. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Marsha was amazing. You know, Marsha would, uh, fucking tear it up, <laughs> you know, married to Johnny Z managing anthrax ministry, Metallica, having a family during all that, That's you know, taught, taught me how to cook, taught me how to vacation, taught me how to live, taught me everything. So having some really other strong women in my life was good. So let me ask you, what influenced your taste in music? Like, why did you gravitate to this certain like niche of music? Because, you know, for yeah. me, I'm from the opposite. I was a classical music person, like super nerdy. So I'm always you interested. You were listening to violence? No. Yeah. That yeah, was Gary Holt before he was in Slayer. And then Exodus was Kirk Hammett before he's in Metallica. You got to go listen to the, to the people. Gary was not in violence. What are you saying? Was it, who was the guy? Okay, who was, in, was it Phil Demmel? Phil Rob, Demmel? Rob Flynn. Rob Flynn. God, yeah. my wire's all crossed. It was Rob Flynn was in violence? Harry Holt is like first generation. Rob Flynn. No, 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 no hold on. But I, was it Phil Demmel played with them? Uh, of course. I know, I know. Yeah, okay, violence that's, was Rob that's, Flynn that's, and Phil Demmel. This is a weekly, a weekly segment we do called Confidently Incorrect with Benny Goodman. No, it's where, called <laughs> confidently, confidently Crossing the Wires. Because <laughs> I'm always like one thing off. I'm like Armored Saint. And they're like, no, it's John Bush in Anthrax. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I would you sound confident enough that I wouldn't have second guessed you. But anyway, let's get back to the original question. I'm interested to hear how you how you got your taste in music. Okay, so another woman. Okay, so a uh, young girl that we were kids. So God, my best friend Joy. I think I was 13 in seventh grade. Come walking in her bedroom. She shared with her stepsister Cheryl, 
and Cheryl's playing Black Sabbath Paranoid. And I walk into, you know, the beginning of Black Sabbath Paranoid. I'm like, wow, fucking smacked me right in my face. It was so good. I loved it. So that was, that was my introduction to heavy metal. You know, and I grew up in this town, Old Bridge. Again, John and Marsh's is a little Megaforce Records based there. Um, the whole community of kids, we all grew up together. And, you know, it was as easy as my friend Gary lived next door. Oh, knock on John and Marsha. My neighbors, they sell records. I'm like, oh, okay. Here comes 13-year-old Maria or 14-year-old, whatever, knocking on the door. Hi, I hear you sell heavy metal records. And he's like opening his garage door to cases of albums. And I bought... I'll show you my first, no, I'm not going to show you. Anyway, my first Motorhead record on clear vinyl. Wait, well, I want to see this. Why, All right, I'll go why get would it. you not show <laughs> us that? <laughs> Is it Lemmy's blood in, in, in like a swastika or something that we shouldn't know about? I got the Testament poster behind me. I think we yeah. see Skolnick there. Well, listen. Mr. Skolnick. Yeah. Mar- Maria Maria was there. I, I feel like all the pictures I see her, She it's, it's like she was like, Super. I, she's like Chevy Bacon of metal. So here you go. First oh. record. Whoa. Oh wow! John and Marsha. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Oh wow! Whoa! So that's wait. That's the first Motorhead record ever. I don't. I don't know if it's the first. It probably is, or the second. But it's the first record I ever bought from John. I thought. I, I thought Lemmy came out in eighteen seventy. Sixty four. Yeah, I was going to say, he he was the original. Like, <laughs> Lemmy was around before everybody. He was just playing pinball at the Rainbow before anyone even was born. <laughs> so anyway, um, Cheryl got me into Sabbath. Uh, friends in the neighborhood got me into, like, Judas Priest, Iron Maiden. Uh, John and Marsha got me into Motorhead, Angel Witch, uh, and then obviously Metallica. That's amazing. And so at a certain point, you decided you wanted to become more immersed in it. You wanted to work at the record store. Like, how did you? No. 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 Okay. So I knock on the door. I buy the record. They have a baby. She's nine months old. I'm like, oh, how cute. Can I come over and play with the baby? I was the youngest of five girls, always pushed around, always wanted a younger sister. I adopted their child as like my baby sister. So I would just hang out at the house, babysit, cook for the kid, cook for John and Marcia. And things just grew. And, and then they started the label. You know, they only had the flea market record store at the time. Then they moved and got a bigger store. And then they were promoting shows. And shit was just happening. And, like, there was no college in my life. There was no um, really desire to do any work of any kind. I was just this, like, stoner <laughs> kid from Old Bridge, New Jersey, listening to metal and hanging out with cool people. And, uh, you know, one day... Um, Anthrax got a new singer and Johnny, he's like, Hey, you know, all the magazines that you read, you know, Kerrang and metal forces and all these mags, write them a letter on the typewriter. We had typewriters. There were no computers then in the eighties and just, uh, you know, just say, Hey, Anthrax has a new singer. And would they be interested to do an interview? So I'm like, okay. And everything he's telling me to do, I'm a puppet. I'm just going to do it. I don't know why I'm doing it, but Okay. So I do this, we mail the letters out, they mail us letters back, telex as we even got, I remember John had a telex machine. <laughs> and uh, we set up interviews. So John, Scott and Joey go to England and Germany and they do all this press. And Johnny came back, he's like, that was amazing. You are now the publicist. I didn't even know what that meant. <laughs> didn't even know, you know, I'm like, okay. So then they would get more bands and he would direct me. Johnny Z directed the shit out of me. And, and that was great. What a learning experience. 
Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, I feel like we've heard like similar stories where all of a sudden you end up with a job that you don't know what it is and you don't know how you got it. And that's kind of the start of a career. So but I loved of- it because I was a kid reading the magazines, you know, suburban bored kid reading the magazines about every, you know, Aussie on my wall, every, every you know. Hey, I'm wearing my old school Blizzard <laughs> of Oz shirt. And by the way, can I say how cool it is to really find out? Because it's so true. Behind every awesome, talented man is an awesome, more talented, smarter woman. And even with Metallica and all equal. those metal bands. An equal. Maybe. How about that? But well, I'll give, you, I'll give you the George Orwell. Some people, <laughs> uh, we're all created equal, but some people are more equal. Benny, than I others. love you. I just- Mainly women. Um, that said, I, behind Metallica, you were there for Megadeth, and then you're telling me about the Megaforce, but like, it sounds to me like the Megaforce were the women. Am I crazy hearing this? Am I hearing no, the right. wrong story and here? Missy Colazzo, who now owns Megaforce, she was like that. The metal. And you had your friend bankrolling them. What, what, what's this? You know, so mm-hmm. all these these metal bands, like unbeknownst to them, they're getting shark tanked, like into the metal scene in the United States by some lady who's like the daughter of some dude that owned a bank. And meanwhile, she's just doling out. Okay, here you go. Get yourself a Gibson. Make sure your Marshall's louder. Fuck this shit. I'll get you on a bus. How cool is that? It was the best. That's awesome. That's so cool. Yeah. Hey, if you guys talk to Phil Demo, Rob Flynn, any Death Angel guys, any Exodus guys, definitely Holy bring up Debbie tell them I love them and ask them for their autograph. <sighs> Let's book them on your show. Gary Holt's a pisser. Okay. Yeah. Does he still want to kill the Kardashians? <laughs> yes. <laughs> kill the censored. He's got those kill the censored on his post. That's awesome. Can I tell you one thing, though? You could tell him I said this because I love him. But he gets extremely upset about like people that don't know his bands aren't wearing T-shirts. Where I think as a capitalist and as a Jew, and I can say that because I'm a Jew and a capitalist, um, that that's silly. Because if I could have some silly television star wearing my Lost Symphony shirt and not know oh, anything know about it, yeah. I'd love to take all that money, buy myself a brand new custom Gary Holt ESP for $5,999 with all that I H&M money. Gary Holt, but guess what? We were all at the last Slayer show. Where's my pants? Somewhere here is the fucking... Well, we all know Jeff Hanneman with his fuck you, you fucking fuck shirt was... Post Malone was at the show and he loved Slayer. He fucking was singing the words to the songs and Gary Holt backstage really twisted his balls. He goes, man, you don't know any fucking Slayer. Name your favorite song. Post Malone looked at him and fucking walked right out and I respected that. And the next thing went, Gary, why are you saying this shit? And then Scott Sokol, the agent... Slayer's agent, he's there. He goes, no, man, Post Malone was singing the fuck lyrics to Slayer songs. Well, you know the thing that's crazy about that guy? So, look, you could shit on the dude all you want. He's, like, broke every record. You may not like his music. Yeah, he's amazing. But but on his fingers, he's got Dimebag fucking Daryl. So, Gary Gary Holt, if you're fucking confused, look at his fucking, look at his his finger and go, okay, the dude put dime, dime on his finger. Maybe he knows something. And when Nirvana pseudo reformed and he sang with them, I argue it was the best of all of those things. He played great. He sounded great. It was just as hacky as Kurt Cobain was. And I loved it. I have to tip my hat to Post Malone. I think he's fucking great. Gary Holt, oh my God, that's hysterical. <laughs> yeah, I was managing Exodus with Chuck Billy and Johnny Z for the last album. Not the, oh God, come on, Blood In, Blood Out, that campaign. 
and Gary fucking <laughs> love him, but sound oh fit for princess. <laughs> well, you should definitely Wonderful. book all those guys on the show so we can like Let's have them it. defend ourselves yes. the, or themselves to you. Right you should you should, right you should. Yeah. because because first off, I want to let you know that Rob Flynn and I'm all the fucking Zoom link. When I was a kid, <laughs> when I was fifteen, listen, when I was fifteen years old, I actually worked for Boston Soundcheck, and that was my way to weasel myself in. And I interviewed Rob Flynn and all those guys and Phil. I, I still what have year? My, what year? Probably like 98 through 2001, 2002. So, I wonder if I set that up because I was their publicist. And well, I can tell you that it's very, very, very possible. And there's also possible that I w they were at a festival and I walked right up to them and just oh. put a, a thing in their face. <laughs> but I can tell you that there was another Maria. I met a Maria Gonzalez at Roadrunner yeah. because she yelled at me about seeing Slipknot without their uh, face masks and it made me cry. And then Corey came up to me and made me feel better about it. And he said, don't worry, kid. I won't tell anyone that you know. And made me feel much better the second day of Oscar. Let's see That's how long nine. it takes for him to accept your offer. <laughs> Do you think he's on Instagram right now playing something from his new record? Because I can't wait to hear it. I know. Gary Holt is the master. You know who another master is? Eric Peterson. Tell us. Eric Peterson. He's everything in Testament. He writes. I just learned about writes. Alex Skolnick this year and now we're Alex like BFFs. Alex is great. I signed testimony when I was 19. Eric Peterson writes all of it. He is every concept, every song, every note. Wow. Well, let me ask you, let's go back to the beginning because you did mention after you had gone to California, you met them like quite young, right? They were like, you were 19 or like something. Can you yeah. talk about the beginning? So we got a demo. We got a demo from California, Northern California, and because it was from Northern California, Metallica was, and we had success with their first two records that we put out on Megaforce. I said, let me pay attention. You know, pull this out of that fucking giant box, like a big, mighty demo pile, I called it. So I listened to that. And I'm like, this is great. And I drove Johnny Z crazy playing that. You know that, uh, what's, what's the name of that song? Is that The Legacy or... I can't Whatever name all the Lost Symphony songs who are yeah. our sponsor. And I wrote them. LostSymphony.com, chapter three. Anyway, that song, I drove him nuts, and he signed the band. And I'm sorry I lost track of the question. What was the question? No, I was just asking because we, you know, we kind of oh, jumped. how did I find them? Demo. Yeah, like how you encountered Testament in the first place. And, just and then John and Marsha, they flew out to the Bay Area to see Testament perform to see if they were really going to sign them. And it was the day Cliff Burton died. And we were managing Anthrax and they were on tour uh, with Metallica when that happened. So they got one of the first, you know, calls because they were on tour together. Like bus was following Metallica's bus, Anthrax's bus. And um, so John and Marsh had to hear that news and then call me and tell me and then go into that meeting to hear Testament play. And the first person I called was Benny Goodman's best friend. Dave Mustaine. <laughs> I knew I knew Metallica would not let him know, and I didn't want him to find out, like in a weird way. And I never read his book, but somebody told me that that's like in his book that I told him about Cliff dying. You know, I, I got to go back because I read it before I really knew you, and I I should go back and find that spot because I well, did. Book. And he, I think he did mention something weird about that. Well, I want to ask. So, 
you you kind of grazed over it, but like I don't want to graze over it. You, you were responsible around the time of the early Metallica stuff, which you know, as a staunch metal fan, it's kind of like the Bible. You got to read it, whether you love it or not, whether you believe in it or not, whether you think there's base and injustice for all or Saint Anger shouldn't have happened. You all know that Metallica is a thing, and it's the reason we're all here. Yep. What was it like to be there watching Rome? burn from the beginning and getting the call about cliff what was that guy like i mean because i feel like there's so many people that talk about it but like he was around like a randy Rhodes for such a short period of time that like who really knew that guy did you really know that guy what was yeah. he like i can just tell you i've seen cliff, cliff them all and that's cliff about was, it cliff was like cliff let's go smoke a joint so he and i would escape and go and just sit against a wall for you cliff yeah totally let's fucking do that but literally just, he was a pothead and he loved music. He was just like you and me. He was quiet though. He was really not like really me. Quiet. I know. Not like me either. There's <laughs> <laughs> Maria. He's different. Yeah. He was quiet and nice. Right. And we're just loud and nice. Yeah. Yeah. He was great. Um, I felt protected when I was with him, you know, cause he just kind of looked out. He was a cool dude. Yeah. I don't know what to say. What was it like watching Metallica early on? Because I mean, oh, I, I mean, I, 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 I think it's crazy because I, you know what? I'll show this to you, Maria, because you'll appreciate this because uh, I got this in a trade and I, and I didn't want to tell my friend how silly this was, but this is actually Metallica's first. I have the flyer. The flyer. I have the flyer. It's signed by Ron McGovney. It's signed by Ron. It's signed by Ron. It says jump in the fire on the flyer. It's up the fire on the flyer. It's a very visual episode. You guys have to go. It's the first Metallica flyer from Radio City, March 14th, and Woodstock, March 26th. And one of those was actually, and this is a Metal Massacre on Metal Blade Records. So this is not Megaforce era. This is Metal Blade. Wow. Records. You're earlier than Megaforce. Yeah, this is no. So I think the second, this is the first one they did. It's actually, so this was from a shoebox because first off Ron McGovney had to do all the 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 printing because he's the bass player so you should know that Ron had to do it so this is before Cliff even and uh he sent a bunch of them to his friend and his friend's parents found it in a shoebox because he didn't put it around wow is that an unreleased picture of Cliff oh well there's James holy wow. shit look at that <laughs> moth you, everyone has to watch the YouTube cast. There's a lot of photos going on here. That's crazy. Wow. Are you going to put this in your book, Maria? Oh, please. Somebody help me with my book. Oh, but look at this. <laughs> you need to write a book. Wow. You, that's your picture of Randy? Is no, that never public? I don't think I took this picture, no. <laughs> but is that a, that's an original photo that someone gave you back in the day? Yeah. Yeah, it's got a date on the back. Very attractive. <laughs> oh, Wait, you God. think he's hot? Fuck, come on, Jesus Christ. He's like 5'2", man. Oh, Perfect. Wow. Siobhan, I'm I might have been taller. Wow. Yeah. Randy so, Rhodes, by the way, is the guy that did the Over the Mountain solo that you I learned. Know, I just, I, I guess I never really looked up old photos of him, but yeah. Gorgeous. Of course I know who he is, yeah. Randy. Um, but yeah, you did saw you this. Did you know Randy too? No, no. I'll tell you, Blizzard of Oz show, I was in the front row May 2nd, I think it was 1981. And at the end of the concert, I was one of those Aussie is God people. I'm wearing it, like, man. Really? I loved it. Aussie. 
And, and at the end of the show, I jumped on stage to try to like run up and touch Ozzy. <laughs> and um, yeah, and the, the security threw me off. But the, what the most amazing thing about it is a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago, two years ago, this guy, Rob Feinstein, that I went to, you know, I went to concerts with as a kid. He actually said, Maria, remember when you jumped up on stage? I'm like, oh, my God. Some guy remembers that shit. But anyway, um, oh, here, here. Holy fucking Shiza McNiza. We got that one. Wow. Oh my God. That's we got this. Awesome. But here's, here's your flyer, Betty Goodman. Oh, my God. Pull it out. Let's see it. Oh, oh guys! Oh my God, she's got it! She's got lift it, lift it up a little higher. See the whole thing, okay? On. Wow! Yeah. Treasure. Are you the gatekeeper? Because <laughs> I'm the key master. So yeah. Okay. Great. I was told that one of those dates, I think it was Woodstock, was canceled. Oh, this is a cliff pick. I didn't take this one, but that's a, a cliff one. pick. I love it. <laughs> it's a cliff pick. Wow. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, Cliff Burton, the 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 the, the bass player. I don't want to say the original bass player, but the bass player after Ron McGovney, the original bass oh, wow. player in Metallica. Wow. wow, the one that everyone thinks is the Jimi Hendrix of bass, and rightfully so. Oh God, Mustaine in in Metallica. Look at that red hair. Oh, so so let me ask you this: Who do you think shredded more back in the day, Kirk Hammett or Mustaine? Because I got to tell you, I absolutely Mustaine. I was going to say I used to make fun of Mustaine all the time when I was younger because he'd be playing with like Marty Friedman. I'm like, that guy's no good. And then I went back and listened. I'm like, oh my god, he's the greatest guitar player I never realized. I'm just going to zip my lip. Uh, Well, (laughs) zip it. You could say whatever you want. The guy likes flaming Cheetos, so there's that. But let's go back to the other question. What were we talking about? <laughs> I don't know, Metallica, how you're part of Metallica at, oh, and Cliff okay. Burton, and then you gave so, a call to okay. James Dane. So James Heffield's birthday, they were playing in upstate New York, um, Rochester, I think. And, you know, Old Bridge Metal Militia, we're going to caravan in cars and go up to the show. So we go, and it was Raven, Metallica, and um, Motorhead. And... We're all backstage, and James took a picture of Lemmy in the middle. I'm on the right. My friend Joy's on the left, and I could pull it up on my computer and show you guys if you want to see the picture. Well, you could send it to Corey for uh, so we I'll do it that. Yeah, send thing. it to me. Okay. But as James takes the picture, Lemmy's grabbing my right boob and Joy's left boob, and we were underage. But in the picture we're like ah! So fuck it put it up right No one fucking cares yeah. His big warts You can't cancel Lemmy <laughs> We were like ah Lemmy is God I didn't give a shit It's fine yes. you know, It was fine we were like ah but you know scared So okay that was that show A couple of nights later they played in Queens Metallica So we show up at the show it's Lamore East And I'm in the front row Because now it's my birthday James is Leo, and so am I. I'm August 5th. Benny, when's your birthday? I'm November 16th. So oh, I'm, why are you fucking throwing horns in about Leo? Oh, I'm just I'm just giving you like you know the, the rock and roll. <laughs> Maybe I'm a Leo. Maybe I'm a Leo like Deep Purple. <laughs> Maybe you know, I, was, I was giving them maybe, but then you asked me definitely, and I'm like, okay, more I'm like in Rainbow and with Richie Blackmore, not Deep Purple, Leo. So they're fucking jamming on stage the whole time I'm screaming, it's my birthday, James, it's my birthday. <laughs> so he dedicates Metal Militia to Metal Maria. 
and that's how I got my name. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. That's pretty fucking metal because you can only have a nickname like that if someone else gives it to you. You can't like be the self-proclaimed metal Maria. Oh, but metal. if James Hetfield on stage dedicates metal militia to you like during the heyday of Metallica and, and thrash metal. I feel like that's a fair moniker. I think if James Hetfield called me metal Maria, I'd start going by metal Maria. Absolutely. <laughs> metal Ave Corre Maria. Yes. <laughs> what? Oh, what is this? Oh my God. Look at that this, dude. This Angry is what wish. Maria used to wear to show wish. Yes. Wow. That thing's badass, dude. Yeah. That says friend- metal. My friend and Valerie Stop. painted it. I put all the spikes in it. And I used to wear this to shows. Yeah, it looks pristine. Like, it it's, looks so clean. Yeah, so your <laughs> eyes say go, but your, sh- your shirt says stop. 1980s, babies. <laughs> I'd wear that now, dude. That totally screams Dead Mouse Show. And you're like, no, that's 2010s guy. It's totally like whatever, Cardi B, WAP now. So yeah, Testament are great, even though they broke my heart, rebroke my heart and broke it again and will stomp on it and piss on it. They're my babies. Mm-hmm. I love them. I'm proud of them. And yeah. Maybe they're like a rainbow in the dark. So, yeah. So there's- and Metallica, fucking God. It's- and you said it mouthful before. None of us would be here. Yeah. None yeah. of us would be here. And I say that all the time, but I feel like, you know, I'm entitled to say that. I love that you say that. I love that because none of us would be here if it wasn't for Metallica. And that's John and Marsha. John and Marsha brought that. Like, I get it that Metal Blade put out a fucking compilation. John and Marsha put their money, their family, everything on the fucking line for Metallica and Anthrax and Ministry and every band that we ever worked with. And it was a pure heyday. And I am sad for every band that's around in the last I'm going to say 15 years because you all missed really, really a lot. This is, this is a hard fucking way. And I respect musicians nowadays so much more because it is harder and that you're sticking with it and, and just doing what you want to do and keep going. What if you you have to wear like space helmets and like, you know, tell people about a story that you've learned and have to regurgitate and then maybe you don't even play on the record all the time. It seems like it works pretty well. I know, but I feel like that's so much to do because not only do you have to learn how to play a baritone guitar and drop E. He's talking about star set. But you have to then put on a space helmet and learn cryo and then but try to play the backing track simultaneously. That's way harder than just saying, hey, put Cliff into my, my monitors and let's hope for the best. Cliff Burton, how about bass solo? Take one. <laughs> my bass solo, take oh, one, never God. sounds like oh, that. Oh, my God. He fucking put that shit on the map. Yeah. He had to stand up for himself. Let me say that was a big deal because. I like what you did with the Lemmy in there. You put Lemmy James in there. And Let Lars. me say about bass. James and Lars, you know? And and when Kirk came in, it's it was still James and Lars. You know, and Cliff had to fight for that. Do you think that's why yeah. there's no base on Injustice for All is because they said, you know what, since Cliff isn't here, we're just going to leave a giant gaping hole in the 40 hertz to like 120 hertz range where Jason Newstead should have been? I couldn't even, I, I can't even go there. James says his ears were blown. I don't believe it because I feel like 
Well, you know, and the thing is, is too, is that okay? As a Metallica, mine's fan, were my, wrong. my yeah. first record was was and Justice for All because I watched Beavis and Butthead. That's the generation I was at, and I heard that. I was like, that is the coolest thing I've ever heard in my entire fucking life. One, and then he did the finger tapping thing, and I'm like, and there were, it was crazy. I thought that that was the most badass thing, and it was like, the guy was in the movie, and all. so I went and got that record. And it blew my mind because you had like and Justice for All's nine all the songs are eight minutes, yeah. nine minutes long, <laughs> and they go everywhere. But now that I'm a, a producer and I'm older and I know better and I've listened to Megadeth, I'm like, but wait, there's no bass. And that double bass sounds eerily incorrect. And I don't know if that thing is rushed or if that's not rushed. And that's cool for what that is. But that sounds like a demo. They paid for this. And I don't understand. It's like, is there a point in your life where you go, that's just metal coming out with something that's that awesome for so long. But then you go back and as an adult and listen to it. And you're like, you're recording right now. Yeah. I don't know what I'm, using, what I'm even saying. <laughs> Did any of that make sense? Did any of it make sense? Not to me. It, it felt like it was going somewhere, and then it, <laughs> it took a left turn. Let's go back and listen to it. It doesn't sound. Maybe I need to go right back and and, I, and go like that was Let's my thought. Let's see what they're going to do. Let's just see what they're going to do. Doesn't matter what's been done. Let's just see what they're going to do. Right on. I uh, hope they re they remix it one day and just, just on record store day they go surprise and it's a five point one remix yeah. of Injustice for uh, All I with don't all think the they original bass. They, they, they can't. What's that? Shall I suggest that? It's been suggested. I don't think they can do it. I think the masters are uh, no longer available for um, being digitized and remixed and mastered. Oh, okay. From what I, from, you know, and this is all obviously secondhand. From what I've heard, there were so many edits to the tape that it's cut up so much. I just asked, it. you can't yeah. remix it? <laughs> Which who, 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 one did you text? <laughs> Who'd you just text? <laughs> who did you text, Maria? Kirk. Oh my god. <laughs> just Tell Kirk, Kirk he needs to remix it. Please. I just asked, you can't remix it? <laughs> <laughs> Wait. Well so. they remastered it, but they remastered like a four track demo. Wait, Come you on, just texted man. Kirk Hammett on the show? Yeah. To ask him to Let's remix and remaster. <laughs> remix Marie, and remaster and Justice for All. Are you? Should we put up our stopwatch right now <laughs> to see how long it takes before Kirk Hammett puts Rachel down Rachel Greeny? Right before when I was on with my friends and she texted me right back. <laughs> She's in Italy. So this, um, this is kind of in what was a question I had a little while back and we've been all over the place, but like it, it's incredible. The um, it seems like such a small club for such huge bands in terms of the personnel and, and who's been involved. Like it's crazy to think that you were in this when you were in that, you know, back back in the 80s. Did you expect that it was going to be this decades and decades of success and, and huge? Never bands? thought about it. Yeah. You know, and that might have just been my ignorance. Maybe people around me were thinking, you know, long term. No, I just was like, I'm still just going with it. Honestly, yeah. 39 years, I'm just going with it. Well, it's, yeah. so, it's so rare. I mean, not many bands have the success that all these bands had. And they all just had the same area and the same group of people. Around. It's it, it's mind blowing. And that's important. But you, you're nailing. You guys are smart and you're nailing shit. Like, <laughs> look at Tetrarch. No, really. Yeah. And you guys and your team with Jason and everyone. Um, but like Tetrarch working with them, it's, it's a team, it's a team and we're taking yeah. it step, you know, one step at a time, same thing with you guys. And if you keep the same team together, yeah, everybody just communicate, work, have goals, keep going, keep going, keep going. Nothing at all is going to fucking happen overnight. And especially now during this pandemic, this has been the worst time ever in my career.
Yeah, oh. and, and I definitely want to. So we're actually coming up. We got about five minutes left in this this part one. But in part two, I would love to dive into how you see the industry today and, and you know what you think can be done about that. But can I take a but, moment and say thank you for first off, one, being so candid and yeah. letting it out? Because I got to tell you, it, it's got to be hard. I mean, anytime that someone that you love lets you down and look, there's a lot of people that do. And, and there's, a, and sometimes you got to look at yourself in the mirror and say, what did I do? But there's also other times you have to stand up and say, you know, I did what I had to do. And, but I'm saying, I want to say, I respect you for being so honest and for being so true. And it's very clear. Like there's a reason why there's a met. I, there's a reason why I respect Metallica and a lot of that reason is clearly you and and the people that you've surrounded yourself with the people you've learned from and you wrote the story that we made our mixtapes to so mm-hmm. um, you know the least we could do is pay attention to the liner notes I read every single one of those little no- liner notes so I, I, I know everybody you're talking about just from reading them in the credits you know and all the little funny I- isms that people used to write for these people in all the different albums because you get all you know what's funny you're this is again funny you're saying this. I've been thanked on records, bands, and I didn't even fucking know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm serious. It was a thing. They would look at like Anthrax or Proof Metallica. Proof of concept, kind of- dude. We know Maria. Bands- Kirk Hammond knows you. Bands would do that. I had crazy shit happen. Biohazard used to break into my car. I would go to Lemoore and they would break into my car and put demos in my car. <laughs> <laughs> Did you come back? Was it, was, it, was it more of a Billy thing or an Evan thing? Probably Evan. <laughs> Evan. Evan's a scary yeah. dude. Like, I remember one time I was touring with those guys. He's like, I'm going to see your set tonight. And, and I, I was like, wait, I, I didn't see. He was like, yeah, I was doing sets at the gym. And I was like, I saw oh, the- well, that makes sense considering yeah. you have a giant spider on you and you look like you're going to murder somebody. Hey, I have Evan another gross story. This is the worst gross story. Do we have to edit Why this not? one out, though? To give us one I we don't, don't have to edit. Oh, my God. Yeah, if you want, I don't care. Rocky from Suicidal Tendencies. It was the Clash of the Titans tour in Europe. It was Slayer, Suicidal, Testament, and Megadeth. And I like to smoke pot. And Rocky, the guitar player, liked to smoke pot too. And he's like, you know, let's go. We'll get some pot in my room. I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know, go smoke pot. So we're fucking standing out of his hotel room his you know door and he's trying to get his key and he's putting his hand in his pocket he took his hand this is disgusting god jesus christ <laughs> he took his hand and he put it down like the back of his pants and he pulled his hand out and he had poop on his hand we like poop stories here by the way he was wasted i forgot that key well back. that makes sense by the way i pulled this oh, out my god. original clash of the titans <laughs> backstage pass oh my god yeah this I, I remember that Slayer logo. Well, uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not old enough for that for real, but I, 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 I love that stuff and I keep it around my studio because how old are you? I'm well, I'm 38, but I consider myself a defender of the faith, which means By the way, that, that, you know, you've listened like Judas Priest because there's other ones, a Judas Priest one. I am a defender of the faith because I know before me Metallica, I knew who Ron McGovney was. I was downloading all those early demos of Metallica at WPI because they had a fast internet connection. Because I'm like, what did they sound like before all of Kill 'em All? I totally respect that you and your generation knows even old school metal. I'm serious. I respect that. I met a person recently, blow me away a couple years younger than you, but knows like all the history and all old school and Metallica 
plays guitar too, but like, wow, like I'm impressed that your generation knows. I made Siobhan do a cover of Gates to Babylon. And I'm like, this is hitting every single level because it's not Dio, but it's and it's not purple, but it's Blackmore and it is Dio. And it also has Jimmy Bain, who was in uh, Finn Lizzy, and Cozy oh, Powell, who's, oh, the, who's, who's also the goat for many people on drums. And we did it all real. And we, I made her do the keyboard thing um, on the violin. And we just did it for Slay at Home for Metal Injection. And with Lost Symphony, but I said to her because she doesn't know anything about metal. I'm like, you don't know how much people who are into metal are gonna be like, they did this song. This is the one they did because I'm a nerd. It's I'm a nerd. Me. I've been waiting for years to let people know my fucking knowledge. Make sure you I go to uh, Lost Symphony and check out Gates of Babylon. <laughs> yeah. um, and on, on that Maria note, Maria appreciates it. Thanks, yes. Maria. No, Thank it's you. amazing. Yeah, you know, you know. So, Maria, thank you so much. Uh, this has we, been awesome. we, we definitely have a lot more to we dive into, um, but you know, for catharsis. I'm gonna get my drugs it. so I can go to bed to get up to go to New Jersey. So I'll be back. But you've been 2020, guys. And Maria, will you stick around? Yeah. And is there anything we can go online and like check you out and stalk you? Is there, like Instagram or website yeah. for for Adrenaline PR? Sharpay or Adrenaline PR. Put it down there, Corey, will you? It'll be down there. Yeah, 2020-d.com. Like and subscribe. Thank you, as always, for checking out this episode of 2020. Please visit 2020-d.com. Like and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. This week's throwback clip is going back to episode number 81 featuring Richard Shaw of Cradle of Filth. Check it out. But to me, that's true artistry. It's when you're pushing the boundaries of where it happens. Like, like this is why it's weird. Because I've never considered myself an artist. I've always considered myself like a, a, a session guy who just learned all these different styles of music and was lucky to make a living doing it. And then obviously, then I got the call for Cradle of Filth, and it was like, oh, I have to write songs now, and I have to say something with what I'm doing. And then that became a whole new thing where it was like, oh my god, now I have even more respect for the artists who have been successful. Think of the Bowies of the, the world, and Zeppelins of the world, <laughs> you know what I mean? Where you go, they're true trailblazers. That's, that can't be easy. Hey, this is Steve Choi, host of the Musicians Guild podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Within the four walls of the Musicians Guild, we'll be discussing the habits, idiosyncrasies, experiences, and general psychology of my friends and peers all involved with music in various capacities. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com.